Hello and welcome to the Oasis Church Podcast. This episode is taken from our series exploring the book of Jonah, as we discover together a story that is all about the goodness of God, a story that leads us to Jesus, and a story that invites us to be transformed by the wonder of who he is. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Jonah 3 verses 1 to 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Okay, good morning one and all. Good morning downstairs. Good morning upstairs. Good morning out in the lobby. It is good to be in the room together. And you thought I forgot, good morning online. Really good to see you guys. As has already been said, I'm not what we wanted today, but it's what we've got. (laughs) I'm okay with that. I'm secure, have nothing to prove. I'm definitely not what we wanted. We wanted Jean. Jean was going to be such a gift to us today. Uh, And I know Jean's online, and we're uh, just praying for you, Jean, praying that you'd heal up quickly. Uh, Jean messaged me last night to say she'd been 
getting worse and worse illness-wise, and was like, I don't know if I'm going to make it tomorrow, and then I got the definite message this morning, I'm not going to make it. Uh, and I was sad about that, because I knew that we'd benefit from Jean's uh, teaching. I knew that Jean had uh, given time and energy to kind of look at this part of the story in chapter three, um, and that's not going to be for nothing. Uh, what we're going to find is we're going to get Jean recorded once she's better, and we'll all get to benefit from that. And so do look out for that online as we all get to hear it. But we just felt like, and I felt like, that actually part of us looking at this story week on week is for a reason. It's for a reason in us seeing that the practice of coming and opening God's word does us good. It does us good. It becomes something that promises to bring life, to bring us joy. That's what the, the Bible does, the Word of God does for us. It's not a chore, it's not like a book that we put on the shelf thinking, feeling more and more guilty that we're not looking at. Rather, it's something that we get to take knowing there's an invitation daily to open it and see what God wants to reveal about the wonder of who He is and how He's created us. And therefore, as we're in that kind of discipline and practice encouraging one another daily to say, hey, come on, let's be those that are living centered on God by practicing reading scripture, um, that it felt like appropriate for us to still delve in, not to the quality of what Jean would have presented, but to still delve in together in this amazing story of Jonah. Is I don't know about you, but each week as we look at this story, I leave in awe and wonder at who this God of unfailing love is and more shaped by who he is and how I therefore should live. And it's that that I'm hoping that's going to come through as we get to delve into this story. Now, to be honest, just because of time, I am going to be looking at it kind of like the surface level and occasionally plummeting a little bit lower. There's so much more we could look at. We could follow, as I say, week on, week out, like the breadcrumbs that is there. You know, get your Bible out, get typing into Bible Gateway, different bits that kind of catch your attention. Because as you do that, you'll find that in this chapter, there's so many moments that are kind of leading to other parts of Scripture that connect in terms of this bigger vision of what God's wanting to do to, with his people, for his people, and for the whole world. But today, I want to kind of zoom in and look at this city story. And as we do that, I want to do three things. Now, there are three Cs. Normally, I wouldn't do that because it feels like, man, like, is this all planned? I promise you, it just came in a moment. And I, I thought about calling it a cheesy thing. I thought it was like the C continues. Because if you like, like Jonah's story, it's one where it's a C at the beginning, a C then where he's in a big fish. And I thought, all right, yeah, then we've got a C here, this C, the letter. No one's getting it. But I thought that probably wouldn't work. And so I thought I'd call it a city story of three C's of contrasts. If you're making notes, just to say, I make notes all the time because I forget stuff. My wife shared with me some uh, teaching that she's doing at the moment um, or receiving through a qualification where it, it examines like how much we remember. And it's like one of those uh, infographics that she sent me where I was like, oh no. And it's like within 20 minutes, every single one of us will have forgotten just under 50% of everything we've just heard. It was like, unless you're taking notes, and that may help you a little. And then it kind of, that percentage of what we remember kind of like decreases the longer you get from what you heard. And so I'd encourage you to like make notes because it just helps things to stick and for us to contemplate it a bit more. Like you often see me on my phone when someone else is talking. That isn't because I'm bored, it's because I'm making notes. 
because it causes me to think, ah, oh, that's what's going on. Oh, I might think about that a bit more. But in terms of this, then it's contrast, conviction, and change. But before we look at those three C's, I just want to look at the overview of this story. So if you like, it feels like it should be the pinnacle. You know, the, the story of Jonah starts with an instruction to Jonah, go to Nineveh, he runs away. And finally, this rebellious prophet gets to where God had wanted him to be. Now, as we saw last week, it was through a journey that kind of was from death to being reborn to life in the belly of a fish. If you don't know anything about that, listen to the talk last week, so it'll do you good. And in it, he's then thrown up, literally, thrown up by the big fish onto the land and then thinks, that's it, okay, God, I'll go where you're sending me. And you feel like, surely then, this should be the pinnacle of the story. That at this moment, God's guy gets to where he's meant to be. But actually, it isn't the pinnacle of the story. Because the story isn't really about Nineveh. The story isn't really about Jonah. The story is all about God. And the wonder of who God is and how God is revealed. And that this God, who God is and how he is revealed is then going to shape who we are in light of who he is. And so what we're going to see is that actually this story is going to continue next week for a couple of weeks as it zooms in to continue to reveal the wonder of who God is and what God's like and the impact that has on Jonah's life. And maybe we're going to discover slightly uncomfortably is that maybe we're sometimes more like Jonah than we'd like. But in this moment, as we zoom in and discover this isn't the pinnacle of the story, but rather it's just again a revelation of who God is. You then realize that the story at this point, chapter three, starts with God and ends with God. I don't know if you noticed that. It like starts with God speaking and ends with God speaking, God's action. It's like, again, like getting the, the craftsmanship, the crafting of this book is incredible. This is going to be pointing you that as you slowly digest what we're reading, it's like, oh, Oh, this is about God again. And then it's like God's action and God's character being revealed. In actual fact, Jonah again kind of takes a like small part and he's disappeared by verse five. He'll reappear again in chapter four, but the rest of it is in terms of God's interactions with Nineveh. And the point is, through these verses, through this chapter, we're to discover again the wonder of who this God is of unfailing love. As we're going to see next week, as we saw a few weeks ago, that Jonah is so frustrated with the wonder of who God is, as he says in chapter four, because God is one who is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. That's the point of this story. That's what we're going to keep getting is God is way better than we ever realize. So it starts off with a contrast. I don't know if you saw it, the contrast between Jonah and the people of Nineveh. You see, you find that Jonah kind of does the minimum, like gives the minimum amount of information in his preach to Nineveh, and then does it in the minimal way. So he does it as quickly as possible in the city. We're told this city is three days to kind of ponder and walk around and discover it. And we find that on day one, at some point, Jonah just quickly shouts out what he's got to say. He gives them bare minimum. 
And that's contrast with the people of Nineveh, where you find that actually with this minimal information, they do the maximum. They're those that then give themselves as a whole. So you find it's the whole of the people, and then the king kind of joins in as well, and they give themselves saying, all right, okay, we take this seriously, and we want to do something about it. But before we look at them, I just want to look at that contrast slightly more, because I want to zoom in in what Jonah says. See, Jonah, we're told, kind of gets the point of his message, but as we saw, he was, we're told firstly, like, this is a city that takes three days to get around. Now, there's lots of reasons why that might have been, but one of them is for us to remember the number three. Because three in this story truly is the magic number. Because three, you remember, is the introduction to the big fish, isn't it? Do you remember that at the end of chapter one where it says, and Jonah was in the belly of a big fish for three days and three nights. And what we discovered is that kind of motive or motif of like three days became this image of what Jesus was then do through three days in the belly of the earth. And what we saw in Jonah of a journey of death to rebirth to life is something every one of us is introduced to through Jesus, to know in him, through his death, rebirth to new life. And so with that number three kind of rocking around our brains, we want to hear, all right, this is a city of three days journeying. I wonder if there's a reason for that. Hey, stuff happens on the third day. Like new life happens on the third day. It's like the narrator saying, hey, lean in. Can you see what's coming? Can you see what's coming? Like, maybe we're thinking this is a story of destruction. Oh, no, no, this is a God of unfailing love. Where actually the third day speaks of something that we're not quite expecting. Life, not destruction. But Jonah kind of knows that about God and so he doesn't wait three days. He's like straight in, day one. And he goes in and he gives probably the worst proclamation that any of God's prophets have done. You see, he gives the minimal information. 40 days from now, Nineveh will be overturned. That's it. Shouts it out and jogs off. Like, it is the worst. Like, normally, God's voice or mouthpiece through a human will say, God says, and then says, unless you do this, repent, change the way you're doing, this action will happen. But Jonah doesn't give any of that. He doesn't give any space for them to do anything. There's no mention of God. There's no mention of any change. It's just, you're going to be overturned. But even within his minimal words, hope is being given. Because that word overturned means that you as a city will be changed. And at the moment, we don't know what that change is going to be. By the end of the story, we're going to discover it's because there's a God of unfailing love who's going to bring a change through a people by his unfailing love, convicting and confronting them in order that he can bring life to them. Man, that's good. Like God comes and confronts us in order that we can know his unfailing love and find life. Wasn't that the story of Tim? Sorry, Tim, I'm going to refer to you a lot this morning because as you shared, I was like, 
man, this is amazing. This ties in so well. Like, people don't think we planned it. We didn't plan it. But maybe there's someone who did. See, there's those moments where God confronts and convicts in order that he can reveal his unfailing love. And he does it even when we, like Jonah, mess up. Like, I don't know about you, I find comfort in this moment because sometimes I'm like Jonah. I don't necessarily am um, motivated in the same kind of wants as him, as we're going to see, that he kind of just didn't want them to know God's mercy. Sometimes I just mess up by just not sharing as much as I wanted to with someone. Missing something out of just describing the wonder of God's love for someone. And then afterwards thinking, oh, if only, if only I'd said that. Have you ever had that moment where you're like kicking yourself thinking, if only I'd said that. Or maybe it's like, I can't believe I acted that way. And everyone knows I'm a follower of Jesus. Ah, I can't believe it. I find comfort in the story of Jonah that God, in spite and despite my failings and my weaknesses, is still able to use a weak vessel like me, a weak vessel like Jonah, a weak vessel like you, to reveal the wonder of his unfailing love. I wonder if for some of us today, we just need to hear that. Stop beating yourself up. Like God is still using you, all your frailty, all your brokenness, all your weakness. God's bigger than that, so much bigger than that. And he uses us in our frailty and weakness to still reveal his unfailing love. Anyway, that's just the contrast. Let's get into conviction. We all want that, don't we? Um, But it's the wonder, isn't it? You find Jonah's The contrast of Jonah and how he acts then brings the wonder of conviction so that we find in verse 5, the people of the city believed God's message. Like God wasn't even mentioned. And yet God is able to use the minimal information that's here to convict individuals' hearts to realize this is God and we've got to do something about it. It's just amazing. Like when God comes and convicts, through his unfailing love, it causes us to be confronted by the ugliness of our own hearts and the wonder of who God is, and therefore, what can we do? See, sometimes we think, oh no, this is a story of the, the angry God, the judgy God. No, no, the judgment of God is always about his unfailing love. It's always about him thinking, I cannot allow you to live this way where you're self-destructive and destructive to others. I want to confront you and cause you to understand that this self-destructive pattern will always lead to death. So God confronts Nineveh and says, this is going to overturn you. And they hear the conviction and take action. It's just wonderful, the action they take. I don't know if you saw it. It says that the action they take is they put on um, sackcloth. Sackcloth was the item of clothing that you put on that spoke of mourning. It spoke of humbling yourself. As a whole city, we're told in the kind of extravagance of the story, the narration, it's like the whole city, the humans and the animals, 
We haven't got time to look at the animals bit. Go and do that yourself. Follow the breadcrumbs. Why are the animals there? We'll see by the end of the week, but see where you get to and see if we get to the same conclusion. But in it, like it's there, they, they put on sackcloth to say, we are in mourning. We are humbled. And then told that they sit in ashes. They sit on the ground saying we're identifying with death. And then we're told they fast and pray. They recognize their status. The conviction causes them to realize that they're dead. They're humbled because of their actions. But in it, it causes them to realize, and there is nothing they can do. They need rescuing. And maybe this God who's being loving enough to confront them, to convict them. Maybe he's loving enough to show mercy. Remember, Jonah hasn't told them anything about who this God is. He knows who God is. He could have rocked in and said, hey, I want to tell you, God sees what you've done, but he is a God of unfailing love who is rich in mercy and compassion and slow to anger. Therefore, if you turn, you'll find love. He doesn't do that. But God's bigger than Jonah. God says, no, no, I'm going to use the minimal to reveal the wonder of who I am. And convicts them. And they say, maybe this God is merciful. And they discover a God who's way more kind and merciful than they can dare to believe. Because he's full of unfailing love. And so from that conviction, we get to change. But before we get there, can I just say, as Tim shared, I felt like the weight of just God coming by his presence to convict us. I don't don't say that as a judgment or a condemnation because God doesn't come to condemn, he comes to liberate. I don't know if you noticed that about Tim's story. The conviction came not to point out how bad he was, but to liberate him to say, no, I've come to bring you life. Because if you stay here, it's only going to keep destroying you and leading you to death. Whereas God came, brought conviction in order that he'd know life and freedom, not only in that moment, but from the moments before that had led to that moment. See, sometimes we need to sit in the ashes. Sometimes we need to allow the reality of God's conviction to hit us. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know where you found yourself like going outside of God's best for you, God's plan for you. Maybe you've never like put your faith and trust in Jesus and the moment you feel like, I feel like my life, if I'm honest, it is one that is destroying me as well as others and I need rescuing. Sometimes we rush from that place and I think sometimes we need to sit there. Sit there and allow the reality of God's conviction to come. Like for me on Monday, I went for a retreat. That's the beauty of my job. Like how cool is that? that? I just go out for a day to retreat, pause and just spend some time with God. And as I'm spending some time with God, I feel God convict me and just say, you're getting too defensive. And if you're defensive, it means that you're not living from a place of knowing you've got nothing to prove. I didn't go, sorry God, carry on. I sat with it. I sat with it for an hour. 
I've just, I was at Winterbourne Gardens. It's quite a beautiful setting to sit with it. Just sat with it saying, God, why, why am I living like that? I'm sorry. And just sat with it there. Because sometimes we do need to sit in the ashes to allow the weight of what God is convicting us with in order that we can know the change and the liberation. Because God God doesn't want to do a surface level change. He confronts us, convicts us in order to get to the very roots to pull it out. Not that we kind of do a surface change. You you put a plaster on the cut and think, oh, it'll be okay. No one can see it. God doesn't like that. He wants to do deep healing. May have a scar, but it's healed up. See, it gets us to that point of change. The people cry out, and God sees their hearts. And the one who's full of unfailing love, who is bent towards mercy, bent towards kindness, turns and changes them in order that he can cause them to know life rather than death. And that is the good news. That's the wonder of who God is. It's the wonder of what we see in Jesus. That for all of us, whether we're someone today who's calm, either in the room or online, where you're saying, well, I don't know who Jesus is, but I know this sense of conviction, I know this sense of weight of, I need rescuing. Like Jesus is the one who came and dealt with it, who died in order that we could find life, who died in order to take all of the stuff that is destructive to us and others and to kill it at the cross, to put it to death, in order that we could be invited through his resurrection to have lives characterized by his unfailing love. So we're able to come and say, Jesus, I need rescue. I need you. For many of us, we've put our faith and trust in Jesus, and yet we find ourselves sometimes just falling back into old ways, like slipping out and stepping into kind of like who we were outside of God's best for us, like not being those that are characterized by God's unfailing love, but rather being characterized by our desire to be loved. It causes us to be self-obsessed and self-destructive and destructive towards others. And in those moments as we feel convicted, it's that we again look to Jesus I say, Jesus, you're enough. Your death was enough. And therefore I come in the conviction, I receive your forgiveness, your wholeness again, and enter afresh into the life that you have for me. See, I could go on. I don't want to, I've done enough. It's a story of a city. It's the story of a city that I think is our story. It's the story of any city, story of any village, every, any town, is that God out of his love for us does not leave us where we are. He convicts us. What's God convicting you on today? But out of conviction, his unfailing love means he will change us. He will change us to cause us to know that we are more loved than we dare to believe. And what we therefore get to do is to turn in that conviction, in that understanding of change and say, Jesus, I need you. And you know what Jesus says? He always says, I am here and I am enough. I'm going to invite the band to come back and we're going to end later, sorry, online, 
hang in there, it's good. But I believe God just wants to come in this moment. For some of us, we already know that God's convicting us. Don't hide. Let's own it, sit with it, and allow Jesus to come and meet with us. And as we sing this song, let's use it as a way of responding and saying, Jesus, I need you. And hear his response to us. I'm here. I'm enough for you.